Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. A little pattern that happens in my life. So uh, what will happen is I become aware that my trousers have got a little bit tight. I don't know if you ever experienced this. Never. Uh, never. Okay. Well, it happens to me quite often. Uh, particularly maybe I'll, I'll occasionally see a photo and I think, I do not look like that. That is a terrible angle. Uh, and then I see a number of photos uh, and I start to realise that the time has come for me to lose some weight, to trim down. Um, and what tends to happen is, this pattern happens, I'll chat to Lizzie, we both get excited about what's going to happen, that I'm going to be determined uh, to lose weight, I'm going to weigh myself the same time every week, uh, and, and we talk about how I'm going to cut down the calories, and I'm going to cut out the treats, and uh, maybe I'll find some quirky thing I think is going to be the secret to my success. So the last time, I thought, I'm going to cut out dairy milk, not dairy milk, that's the kind of chocolate, yeah, it is, it is, milk from cows, I'm going to cut that out and instead I'm going to have oat milk or almond milk and I think that is going to be what's going to help me uh, and I'll start off brilliantly for the first three days, maybe I've done some exercise every day, I've gone for a run every day and I'm thinking this is looking really good, this is looking really good um, but then by the fourth day I've started to crumble and by the end of the week I'm exactly back where I started gorging on cheese, on yogurts, crisps, whatever I can find as I roam around the kitchen late at night. And I ask myself the question every time, why? Why can't I be disciplined enough to, to do this, to, to stick with this? And I end up concluding that it's because my mind hasn't been transformed. I, I want those treats more than really I want to lose weight. And today we're looking at a part of a letter that was sent to those early believers 2,000 odd years ago. Um, and in the letter, they're not being told to lose weight, but they are being urged to do something difficult. And they're being asked to live differently to the world around them. And there's some very specific instructions that needed to be said to these early believers. But something I really want us to see is they could only carry out these instructions as worship in response to their understanding of what Jesus has achieved. And we'll see that we need to hear some of these challenges and these encouragements too, but that we can only carry them out in response to our understanding of what he has done. So, uh, Lizzie, I haven't asked you before, but could you read the passage nice and loud? It's Let me take off my mask. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 to 6. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by, for, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are ill-treated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the, all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. 
So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Thanks, Lizzie. So um, what I want us to do is to look at the ways these early uh, believers were being urged to live differently. But I'm aware there's a real danger. Whenever we read bits like this in the Bible, we end up thinking, oh, I've got more things I've got to add to the list of stuff I'm meant to do and stuff I'm not meant to do. So now not only is it do not murder, do not steal, (laughs) do not lie, now I've got to have strangers around to my house for meals all the time and I've got to book out Saturdays to go to prison to visit people. Well, before you start to feel totally exhausted, I think it's really important that we look and spend some time looking at the previous verses which highlight the power that enabled them to live differently. So um, at the end of Hebrews chapter 12, if you've got that, it says this. It says, therefore... Since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So these instructions that Lizzie read out are ways of worshipping God acceptably. They're ways of showing that we love him. It started off therefore, so we need to track back a bit more to understand why. Why would they worship God? And if you were to look, and maybe do this uh, later, if you were to look through Hebrews chapter 12, you can see the writer of this book, this letter, contrasting how people approach God before Jesus died on the cross with how we can approach him now. And we hear about, in in that chapter, we hear about how God um, appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai and it describes if you to look through it describes them it was a mountain that couldn't be touched it was a mountain that was burning with fire it says there was darkness gloom and storm a trumpet blast a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they couldn't bear what was commanded it says it was a terrifying sight that Moses was trembling with fear and this this is a kind of 18 certificate film this isn't a PG or a U this is really uh, terrifying stuff uh, it reminds me of a scene not an 18 but Lord of the Rings you know some of those really dark scenes that are quite scary well depending on your tolerance of films. But it's all changed dramatically. That's what we're being urged to understand. We're told we've not come to that mountain. We're not approaching God in that way. We've come to what's described as Mount Zion. It's not burning with fire. It's the city of the living God. There's not darkness and gloom and storm. Instead, it says there's thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. And we don't beg God to stop speaking, but we can rejoice that his sprinkled blood, it says, speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, which means Jesus' blood speaks of our righteousness, our forgiveness, sorry, but Abel, who was murdered, speaks of guilt. So the writer's showing that these, uh, that these believers and us, if we trust in Christ, had gone as far from one extreme as they possibly could to the other. 
And it reminds me of a story I heard uh, from someone who used to live in Burundi. Um, and they knew uh, the, uh, the person involved in this story. And it's about a nurse. And this nurse was working in a hospital in Burundi. And uh, she went to use the public toilets. Um, and while she was at the toilets, she spotted something moving down the toilet, and it was one of those you know, long drops where there's a hole in the ground and a big pit underneath. Uh, and she peered into this really smelly pit with all the flies, all the poo, all the wee, whatever else was down there, and she spotted what was a premature baby moving around in there. Um, and so the nurse reached down into the toilet, into all the toilet waste, and she fished out this baby cleaned up the baby, and then uh, took her to a home where someone was going to care for her. And this lady at the home took care of this little baby. It was five pounds in weight. Um, and if you fast forward 19 years, uh, that baby, which was a girl, became a woman. Um, she had family and friends who loved her. She had family and friends that she loved. And she was awarded a scholarship to study journalism at university. And the name that this baby had been given by the home when she first uh, was taken in was Grace. And that story is the same story that these early believers had. And it's our story. That we have all been saved from a hopeless, terrifying situation where we really are in the poo with no way out. And like grace, there's only one way for us to be rescued. For someone to reach down into the filth and to pull us out. And that is what Jesus did. Taking us from darkness and gloom to joy and to light. So, then in this passage we see five commands or, or encouragements that were given to these believers long ago. And as we go through them, uh, I want us to think about how we can worship God in our lives through these encouragements, through these instructions. And maybe sometimes you can come to church, can't you, hear a lot of things and it washes over us. So maybe try to uh, identify one of these things and how it might apply to your life, what it might mean for you. So, the first one is, that Lizzie read out is keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Um, can you imagine if Tim sent out one of those clever text messages, the CCM text message or email, and in it he was saying to all you guys at CCM Gorton, uh, I think you really need to keep loving each other. That would, that would suggest there's something not quite right, wouldn't it? Um, but also bear in mind, the writer's not just saying, guys, you need to keep on being nice to each other. He's saying keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters, like family. And as I've been thinking about this, I think the question is, what does that mean for us? If we look to each other here as actual brothers and sisters, would we act differently? And I think there's a real challenge here to think about how we support each other when we're going through difficult times. So maybe this is something for us to think about. Who do you know that's got a need where you can help? Or maybe you have a need, you need some support, and maybe you need the challenge for you is to share that with someone else, to let someone else know where you need help. 
So that's the first one. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. The second one. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I always thought this one's a little bit crazy, uh, the idea that you've um, had someone around for a cup of tea or for dinner and it's turned out they were an actual angel. Um, I've never had anyone say I had a bit of a suspicion about that guy, Raymond, last Thursday. I've not, I've not heard that before, but apparently that, that's what the Bible says. And we obviously need to be careful who we invite into our home, but we can definitely take up the challenge to remember to be hospitable to strangers in whatever way that means. And I think a real easy start for 10 is chatting to visitors who come here to church um, before and after church. I think that's a great example. And, and it's great that as a church, I think actually we're really good at that, but that's something for us to think about. But I wonder whether there's any other situations in your life where you might encounter strangers that could just be walking about whatever you do each day. Um, and maybe they're opportunities for us to show kindness to people. So that's the second one. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Third one. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, I think this is talking specifically about believers who are imprisoned or mistreated for their faith. And that might not be so common in England in 2021. But it was all too common at the time that this letter was being written. And actually, it is all too common around the world today. There's lots of ways we can support people who are being treated badly because of their faith. As a church, we heard over the past few weeks, we've been raising money in the Big Give, uh, and some of that money's been going to pastors in the Ukraine who are working in really difficult circumstances. So that's one really tangible way um, that we as a church are helping believers in those situations. Uh, And also there's lots of information available from other charities like Open Doors about how you can support persecuted Christians. In fact, we were talking about them in our community group prayer meeting this week um, about how we heard how Christians are getting killed, they're getting rejected, imprisoned for their faith across the world right now. So maybe this is something that stirs your heart. Uh, So how I think, what could you do? Maybe you could sign up to an Open Doors email or chat to Tim about what's happening in Ukraine. And is there a way you could help, uh, help there? The fourth one is marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I'm intrigued as to what was going on here. Not not quite sure, but it sounds like there was a temptation for those early believers not to treat their marriages in the way that God wanted them to. Um, it sounds like their marriage was at, marriages were at risk of not being honoured. There was a danger that some people were acting like they were married with people that they weren't married to, and then there were some people who were married, but they were acting like they weren't married. And they were being reminded here in this passage that God does have a view on these things. They're being reminded that uh, God doesn't revolve around their changing desires and what culture says is okay, but that they and we must revolve around him and his ways. And we're all human. Not Uh, None of us has got a set of desires and passions that match up with exactly what God says is right and good. 
But he is God and he knows what is best for us. And only you will know about this particular one and how it might apply to you. But I do know that this area is one that can become all-consuming if you're battling something on your own. And with everything that the internet offers, it's easy to let your mind become polluted by things, by impure things. So just this morning, for example, um, I went on the app Strava. So Strava is an app that records if you're you know, really into fitness like me, uh, if, you go, <laughs> if you go running or cycling, uh, it records your, your running and your cycling. And a very wholesome app. You know, all it is is about pure goodness, in my view. Uh, and the great thing is you can connect with your friends, can't you? So I think there's a few people here who are also fitness enthusiasts, uh, and I get to see how you're doing with your running, and you get to see how I'm doing. Well, this morning, I had an invitation to become friends with somebody called Crystal from Maryland in the United States. Now, I've been racking my brains, thinking, who do I know called Crystal? And I came to the conclusion, I don't know anyone called Crystal. Um, She's a young woman, quite glamorous. um, And that could have been the start of a slippery slope, just a few clicks away from uh, meditating on impure, secret thoughts. Thoughts that dishonour my marriage as well as God. So perhaps the first step on this one is just to speak to somebody about your struggle, whatever that might be. And the fifth instruction we see here is keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Just, just think about the context of this one. This is two, about 2,000 years ago and they're being told, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. I think this is amazing. These believers, they did not have Amazon, they didn't have eBay, they haven't got a big Tesco's down the road, and they haven't got Gorton Market. They didn't walk past billboards telling them about all the stuff they really needed to be happy. They didn't have, they weren't bombarded by adverts on TV, on the radio, on the internet. They didn't have TV, the radio, or the internet. But they still needed to be told to be content and to keep free of the love of money. So, if it was an issue for them, it's certainly one that we need to consider. It's so easy to become discontent, isn't it? We see what other people have got, and we start to feel like we really need that thing. And uh, this was very true for me last weekend. We went to Curry's, Curry's PC World at the Snipe. Um, And while I was there... I wandered into the the far end of the store, the TV area, and I could not believe how amazing TVs are. They have curvy ones, they have ones with the most incredible sound quality. The picture is really crisp and sharp. Even if you're like that close to the TV, it's like incredible. Um, And I started to think, you know what? Yeah, our TV is a bit on the small side. Um, And I thought we do need, we deserve a bigger TV. And the longer I lingered in the TV section, the stronger the pull was on me. And I know Lizzie preached about something about giving up a bit of TV the other week, but I thought, this is important. So I was lingering there. I was lingering and the, the pull was getting stronger. And I don't know for you, but where does your heart 
linger. Perhaps your worship to God is to move away from those places that make you feel like what you have isn't good enough. That might be the hours we spend on Instagram or Pinterest or the TV programmes you watch about big houses or other people's lives. But only you'll know what that is for you. Now, all of these instructions are countercultural. If we think we've got them sorted, if we've gone through this list and thought, I'm doing pretty well actually, um, then I, I think we've, not pro- we've probably not fully uh, grappled with these instructions because they're often the absolute opposite of what we feel like doing and will often fail. But how wonderful that we worship the one who was able to do all of these things perfectly. So when it comes to love, loving one another as brothers and sisters, we remember how Jesus gave his very life for us. It says in uh, another book in the Bible, 1 John, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. When it comes to welcoming strangers for dinner... Remember, uh, there's a story in one of the Gospels about Jesus, how at the end of a long day, where the disciples just wanted to chill out and have a nice bit of time, bit of alone time, Jesus fed thousands of people with bread and fish. And when it comes to those who are mistreated, Jesus treated them with dignity. Remember all the marginalised people that society shunned and how Jesus cared for them. From the tax collectors, to prostitutes, to lepers. And when it comes to purity, Jesus was perfect. Treating women with honour and respect. And when it came to contentment, Jesus rejected all those temptations that were offered by the devil. And he chose the hard, lonely path of obedience. And in all these areas, Jesus did it spot on. He did it perfectly. And yet we're told in another book in the Bible that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, he was perfect, God made him to be sin for us, for you and me, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the one who was was perfect became completely imperfect, so that we who are imperfect became perfect. And this week I've been struck again by Psalm 22. What a, what a psalm. It was written long before Jesus was born as a baby. So long before he came to this earth. Um, and it's as if Jesus was meditating on it as he hung on the cross. And the words amazingly describe what was happening to Jesus in his final moments. Listen to this in verse 1 and 2. Again, written a long time before Jesus walked on the earth. It says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. And they're words that Jesus quoted as he hung there on the cross. He called out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he went through all of that so that we can enjoy 
the words and experience the words written in Hebrews, at the end of Hebrews, uh, the section we're looking at, verse 6, where it says, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So if you find any of these five instructions particularly challenging, know that you don't go through it alone. Jesus promised that he is always with you.